0: Yo, what's good, listeners? This is your boy, Chef Jeff. And this is Food for Dog. Yo, what's up, listeners? how y'all doing hope y'all doing marvelous hope y'all doing great we're gonna continue here with this book review chapter five robert green probably called it aggression i'm assuming 50 cent called it a hustler setup so we start off with 50 cent story and 50 cent story example one of his first stories was when he got out of juvie when he was younger he when he got to his hood, he saw that everyone was hustling, everyone was making moves, and he was he was playing catch-up. So what he did was while he was in jail, he got cool with one of the stick-up kids, one of the leaders of all the stick-up kids. And if you're unfamiliar, stick-up kids basically just someone who who robs people. You know what I mean? So he got cool with one of the leaders of them and he made a deal with them. And he says Yo, y'all rob everyone in the hood, and y'all give me the work, and y'all can keep whatever other come up y'all get. And they agreed to that. So what they do, they rob everyone. Even 50 50 Cent was smart that he even got robbed. I say that with quotation marks. He got robbed, so he would, you know, he seemed like, yo, they robbing me too, just to fall, you know, continue with the act. And what, basically what he did, he got all the drugs and he came up and there, there there he goes, like from the bottom to the top, with that simple move, that simple that simple gesture of like befriending someone and then using that their skills and your situation to that to your advantage. It was an interesting come up honestly, and then he did another interesting interesting move, pretty conniving, and uh, I don't know if I would personally if I personally would move like this, but I see the skill behind it, but when Fifty Cent was coming up in his rap career, he he made a diss track, but he made this diss track where he kind of exposed what was happening in the, in the real life streets, more specifically with these with these hustlers from Queens that was called the Supreme Team. Supreme Team was well connected with Murder Inc. Murder Inc. was the label that signed Jaw Rule, so Fifty Cent comes at Jaw Rule. And he he exposed the shit that's happened on the street with Supreme Team. And in the rap game, uh, buying connection in, in the hustling game, you don't talk about what's happening in the streets. You know, the game is to be sold. It's not to be told. So Ja Rule, now he feels like he has to represent the label and he has to respond. But now Ja Rule's hands forced. It's not something that Ja Roo almost wants to do. Because Cent was coming at Ja Roo, but Ja Roo wasn't responding. But now that he came at the at the Hustlers and the whole label, kind of, Ja Roo's hand was forced and he kind of had to respond. But at that time, Ja Roo wasn't really no, no gangster rapper. You know, he was making hits with Ashanti and stuff like that. Not to say, you know, maybe in real life he was, but in the industry, he's not playing that part. And... And because of that, Ja Rule now he seems like kinda off balance. And 50 Cent, that's when he comes out with that track Wangster. <laughs> Classic right there, honestly. And it and it was very interesting how 50 Cent was able to force force his hand, but honestly, in a way I can't really respect. Uh I see the skill behind that move, but I really can't respect that but you know that's a that's something else to be honest that's that's how he moves, you know but in this in this chapter, they kind of talk about like the role of aggression and the role of like reading the environment and then using your your emotions to kind of play that part or to play the part that you want to get and i seen this i seen this play out in this show that i watch. it's called snowfall great show i recommend everyone to watch it uh, directed i believe by john singleton the director of bad boys no not bad boys excuse me boys in the hood but uh the main character he goes to jail and the main character he's a he's a hustler like this is this during the crack epidemic blowing up like probably late seventies, early eighties, and he's like the largest distributor of crack cocaine in the in the world at that point. Young young blood. But he gets locked up and and while he's locked up, he's and he's a smart dude. Like he was never really from the streets in the streets, but not really like repping that life and doing and you know, living that life like that. But he gets locked up and while he's locked up first some Mexicans, they they rob him for his sneakers. He don't do nothing about it. Then some dudes that he had kind of had beef with in the streets before he got locked up. They they act like they cool with him. And then one night when he's sleeping, they jump him. He's all beat up. He's hurting. And when he goes, his friends, his friend and his uncle comes to see him locked up. And they see him and they just get mad because they see how much. How, much, how bad he's hurting, like physically, mentally, emotionally. And they get mad, and they just start yelling at him like, yo, the first thing you go in there, do is punch the first nigga you see this and that. And I was, it, it, it gets you riled up just watching it, to be honest. But he goes back inside. He does nothing about it. He does nothing about it. And then this is when I found it was really, really uh, interesting how his father and his mother comes to see him. Now, his father has never been in his life. It was only more recently he kind of came in. And his father was a drunk, you know, pretty embarrassing, to be honest. But now he cleaned up, you know, he's playing, he's he's trying to play the part. And the father kind of, the mother's crying and she's just like, oh my God, I can't see my boy like this. And he gets mad like, ma, yo, get out of here if you're going to be here, you know, crying and whatnot. And then the son, I mean, the father says side to the son, like, yo, just keep your head up. And then he just gets mad, like, oh, really? I'm in the worst point in my life, and now you're trying to be a father to me? And, he's just, and then he just gets riled up, just starts, starts uh, slamming the phone. Because they're talking, you know, he's locked up. They're talking through, through a window of uh, the phones. He starts slamming that shit. And then the correction officers had to grab him and, put, and throw him back into, like, a uh, general population. And when he's in there, it's crazy because his whole his his whole demeanor changes, his body language, his his movements. He's more he's hunched over now. He's kind of almost like, you know, like like a tiger ready to pounce on something. And he sees the dude who stole his sneakers, well, who robbed him for his sneakers. First thing he does, he just walks up to the dude. Dude's talking on the phone. He just. Bow! Punches homie in the face, bro. Homie gets knocked out. He just takes the shoes right off his feet. But then everyone starts jumping him. But he's grabbing those shoes with dear life. Oh, it's crazy. So they throw him in the cell. He comes out, let's say, a week later. They don't give a time frame, really. And But this time, he's wearing his shoes. Because he's been barefoot in socks the whole time since they robbed his shoes. Then, now he can, he's still he's still in that mood. And he goes up to the dudes that jump him. And he goes, Yo, if y'all ever try to jump me again, I'm gonna kill y'all whole family. And then he starts giving details where the where the dude's families live at. Yeah, I know who's in your house. He says the street. I don't know who's in there, your mother, your little sister, this and that. And you at first they thought he was a joke, but once he starts getting into details, they're like, oh snap, this dude ain't playing. And then and they don't touch him no more. But it was crazy to see how that. That anger, and not even when it was, when it should have been there initially from the acts of what they did to him, but that anger that that was rooted from his his relationship with his father, it was able to extend into that area of life where yo my situation is is messed up. I don't even, now I don't even care how I'm going to act right now, bro. I'm going to do whatever I got to do to get mine. And it, and it, and and at that time, when I was watching that show, I was reading this book about chakras. And it talked about uh, the throat chakra. And it talked about how being angry it can be healthy sometimes because it allows you to set healthy boundaries. And at that time, I never thought the emotion of anger was ever healthy. I always, you know, I feel like General society gives it a connotation that is, you know, it, it doesn't do you much good. But here is an example of being angry, creating healthy boundaries for you, or it it, it gives you the courage to to set healthy boundaries. And that 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 scene was crazy. Honestly, it, my favorite scene in the whole in the whole show. I recommend everyone to watch it. But it it plays on the point where it talks about in the in the in the book how how being nice can be tiring and sometimes you have to be aggressive and assertive to get what you want and i remember listening to an interview with Nipsey and he was talking about in a negotiation you're not friends with the person you're negotiating with essentially you're your enemies until the deal is signed and then y'all best friends because y'all working on the common goal now but until then you know whatever he comes up you lose and whatever you come up he loses and and that was something i really took to heart and after hearing that i i became a lot colder when i st- when i get into business conversations like not just talking about general business but when someone's trying to propose a, a business proposition to me i get this real you know almost like a poker face and I don't do it to be rude. And my mother and and my sister always tell me like Jeffrey, why are you being rude? But I always make a point to never be disrespectful, but never be too nice. Because now I don't, I'm not trying to get played for a sucker. Essentially, so if I'm I'm giving you that that cold look or that cold stare, I feel like you're you're more likely to give it to me raw in the sense of pause, in the sense of like like yo these are the these are the business propositions bro this is what it is um i don't know how you feel about it and if they see that i'm not smiling trying to be friendly with them then i feel like they're not going to try to play me for the fool that at least that's how i move and robert greenhow he talks to, he one of the things he mentioned he says you have to be in a negotiation or in certain deals you have to be either or certain you know different scenarios you have to be a lion a fox or a sheep a lion i feel like is um is, is a beast up front. A fox is slight at first, but very, you know, cunning. And the sheep is just, you know, you're, you're docile. And I, honestly, I can see how sometimes that may play to your benefit. I, I can't think of any at the moment, but I can see that possibly in the future where, you know, maybe you looking weak gives you more of a benefit in whatever, you know, thing you're trying to acquire. And some of the main points that he talks about uh, at the end of the chapter, he says common foes that you will face on some level of business or that you requ- that will require you to get what you need is um, aggression. Well, no, excuse me. So some of the things that, some of the like moves that you are going to have to be faced with while you're trying to get what you need, you're going to be faced with aggression, passive-aggressive. Uh, unjust situation you know static situation and impossible dynamic and i'll just touch on the impossible dynamic where impossible dynamic kind of plays like let's say like you know a lot of times when you're a trailblazer you're in a totally impossible dynamic and things are obviously are not going to work for you and this this is probably like works best or you know highlight example of like african-americans you know trailblazing in certain industries and you know nothing's going to work in their favor or you know they're not going to get the benefit of the doubt for anything just off the strength of their skin color regardless of their talents but you know that's that's just um uh, that's that that's chapter five chapter six is authority so in this chapter uh 50 cent he's um he talks about how he in his neighborhood. This is you know he's a little bit older now. He got his crew, and he's running shit around his neighborhood. But now this dude who gets locked up, who just got out of jail, comes out, and he 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 puts a hit on Fifty Cent. name. he goes, Yo, I'm I'm gonna kill this dude. And now Fifty Cent doesn't know how to move. Not necessarily doesn't know how to move, but doesn't know how to re- how to react to it. But the thing is, homie doesn't do it himself. He Essentially, contracts someone to do it. Like, you know, he gets a little homie. Now the little homie's out to get 50 cent. And so, before the little homie gets to 50 cent, 50 cent and his homie grab, dude, the little homie, and 50 cents gives him like a buck 50, just cuts his, uh, his like mouth open type thing and sends him to the hospital. So, 50 cents sent a symbol, uh, a sign saying, Don't play with me, I'll hurt you. I'll do it myself at that, cause it was Fifty Cent who cut him. It was granted there was a team effort, but you know Fifty Cent essentially laid, uh, made the wounds. And now, homie get homie that gets slashed up comes out of, uh, comes out the hospital, and wants revenge, but now his his OG, the original dude who sent out the hit for Fifty Cent, doesn't want to do it, and he's sending little homie to go do it again. Now, little homie looks at his OG like, yo, bro, you a clown if you're sending me out to do this again and you're not about to hold me down. And now it, it, it shifted the whole dynamic because now everyone's going against this, you know, 50 Cent's enemy at this point. Even, even what used to be his ally is now opposing him. So that was, a, I think it was an interesting way how 50 Cent kind of handled that situation. But Fifty Cent talks. I mean, not Fifty Cent. Robert Greene. He talks about how, uh, like other points in the chapter, is talks about how when you when you grow big, you become scared of making big mistakes, and then because of that, you pull on everything in the sense of you always ask what to do. Or another route of you know of handling of you getting too big is that you micromanage everything, and both of these examples are signs of weakness. And I think here, uh, Robert Greene brings these examples up because it kind of shows that once you get to a certain status, you start getting tested, whether it be in the market with competition or it might be with your own personal decisions and direction of growth, how to go about it. And then 50 Cent in the hood, constantly getting tested, constantly from different directions in different manners. And this also happens in the business world and just in general in life. And he talks, uh, and this chapter really talks about leaders. And Robert Greene talks about if you're a good leader who takes accountability, who's able to make tough decisions and take risks, and you practice what you preach, you gain respect. And when you gain respect, that allows you to ask for sacrifices from your workers, to punish troublemakers, Occasionally make mistakes and, and be forgiven because everyone's human. And if you take res- you know accountability for those mistakes, I feel like it may even add to your ambiance of a great leader because you're not shying away from that, when well, many would. And then he also talks about in this world, it's best to start with nothing. Because when you have titles, money, privilege, any type of inheritance is actually a hindrance. Because it gives you this false narrative that you're owed respect. And when you have to work for everything, then that respect is genuine because you know what it's like for it to not be there. Not to say that it's not genuine when you do have all these things. But, you know, when you work for these statuses, you have a new level of appreciation for it. And then uh, Robert Greene talks about, it's better to be feared and respected than to be loved. And he gives this example of this uh, of this director. I believe it was early 1990s. No, not 1990s, 1900s. His name is John Ford. And John Ford was very strict. And he had a very strong uh, form of leadership. And he was... And, but yeah, this made actors want to, you know, do work with him because they knew that he would, he would perform and he had, he created great works of art. And because he was rude and, and strict, whenever he gave a compliment or he did a nice gesture, it held twice the weight because they're thinking, this is a guy who never gives a compliment. He just gave me a compliment that really means something. and. <clears throat> excuse me, and he would, uh, he talked about Robert Greenhow. You can't just turn rude. You can't just, you know, wake up one day and say, you know what, I'm gonna be rude now. You almost have to establish a reputation for it, a reputation of toughness. And if you don't do that first, you know, people aren't gonna believe it, or they may even take it personal. And if it's there from the conception of when you met them, they might resent you to a certain degree, but they will respect you. And and when those moments that you, when you are nice, they're gonna know that it's genuine because it's you know you showed them otherwise. So now that you're being nice to them, they're gonna think you know this this is legit. And then Robert Greene gives another example of a great leader, and he talks about Moses. Moses when he led the Israelites, and he talked about how he led them through for forty years through the desert. And how the Israelites would constantly try to, you know, go against him. You know, uh, they give the example of when Moses. And when I say they give the example, I'm referring to the Bible. When Moses goes against the Ten Commandments, comes back and they build the tower trying to reach God. And I believe that's when they when uh, Moses when God punished them by making people speak different languages. And. And Jesus and God would always, you know, would bless Moses with miracles to regain people's faith because they would constantly, and I don't blame them, 40 years walking through a desert, you know, I don't blame them for being mad or, you know, for losing hope. But Jesus, God would always bless them with a miracle so they would believe him again. And Robert Greene calls this the greatest masterpiece of leadership in history. And I never categorized leadership in, you know, quantifiable, comparable ideas or events. And when him and him doing that with this event of Moses, I found it very interesting and it gave me a more, a new mind frame behind the idea of leadership and able to quantify it and compare it to other examples in history. And that's why I like Robert Greene, because it's always a a point of history with him and, you know, looking at it from different perspectives. And, and he talks about to be a leader, you're almost going against human nature. And and the reason why he says that is because you can't be distracted with immediate things and you have to pay attention to the larger goal. And that's almost going against, you know, human nature. You know, you react to the danger in front of you, you know, and almost live, live for today. I forget how the expression goes, but yes, you know, uh, I can see why he he brings up how it's it's almost it's like going against human nature because you're constantly thinking. You're not thinking for yourself. You're thinking for, you know, a community, and you're thinking about the future for the community. And he talks about, for the last points of the chapter, he talks about the main roles that must be learned to be, to perform as a great leader. And he says you have to be a visionary, a unifier, a role model, and a bold knight. And I think these were very good examples of things that would make you a great leader. And in chapter seven, he talks about, the name of it is uh, Know Your Environment or Hood Economics. And in this chapter, 50 Cent talks about when he was in the hood hustling and he got a bad batch of work. And because of his bad batch, the fiends weren't rocking with him. They were not you know, buying his drugs from him. But 50 Cent couldn't understand why. All he's thinking is, I have this product. I know they, you know, they use this product. Why aren't they coming, why aren't they coming to get, get it from me? And he went to go ask the older hustler and the older hustler tells him, yo, you got to talk to these fiends. You got to, you know, see what they want. You got to see what they like. You got to, you know, and the dude even had like a, a one close fiend that he'll give him samples just so he could, you know, he could get it. He could understand what they would really like. And at this and then here, the 50 Cent talks about how there's two kinds of hustlers. There's one that only pays attention to the numbers. You know, oh, I got, I bought this, pro- I bought the product for this amount. I got to sell it for this much to get my re up, and this is going to be my profit. And then, you know, just calculate it. But then there's, there's the second level of hustler where they, they pay attention to the psychology of the customer. And they really want to understand what what the customer base likes. And what the customer really goes for and the mindset behind it. They don't just think about the customer when they're buying when that customer is buying that drug. They're almost thinking about what's the customer doing after they use my drug and they go home. What is that customer, you know, doing with his life? What is this gonna make him come back to me? You know, the the psychology of the of the customer. And I thought about this example, how Amazon I heard I think I was watching an interview with Jeff Bezos and he talks about he doesn't pay attention to his competition. He only pays attention to his customers and what the customer wants. And he doesn't think about, oh, how can I beat out competition? He thinks about what can I do to get my customers like me even more. And I thought it was this, you know, it the same level of thought where, you know, you're just thinking about th- Business in, a, in almost three-dimensional, three where you add this layer of emotion to it, and I feel like a lot of times when we think of business, we think it's something that's very cold-blooded, very mechanical, very calculated, but it's not. you know there's a psychology behind it. You know money's just a representation of what we think and what we, what we deem important. And some of the things Robert Greene says is that you know you have to be sensitive to nuances and emotions. And you have to see, you know, what what are the reactions of the of the people you you're doing business with. And you have to understand that that you're not superior to those on the outside. And you always want to go towards different forms of thinking. And you always want to essentially don't stay in your inner circle. And by say inner circle, I mean people who are always have the same, you know, form of thought as you. Go out and explore. And I remember, I um, when I was in college, I, I transferred from one school to the next. And when I went to this new school, I didn't. I made a, a, a very strong effort to go to a lot of clubs and clubs that I usually wouldn't go to. When I was in my first school, I would go to like, you know, Latin club, Black club, you know, uh, basketball, and things like that. But when I went to this to this new school, you know, I'm a big fan of philosophy. I went to the philosophy club. I I even took a friend with me. Shout out to Jimmy. I took him out. Uh, he's real for even pulling up because I knew a lot of people. When I told them like, "Yo, let's go to the philosophy club," they looked at me weird. But he was down, and I I really appreciated the fact that he was open minded like that. I went to the theater club. I learned so much about that. Like um, not even just the like the importance of camera angles when shooting things, but also just the the uh the mind frame behind certain things and why why things are are shot in a certain way and what the brain lead what it makes the brain think when it's shot in a certain way. And I went to the business club and, and I I mixed with a lot of different crowds that I I know I usually wouldn't have, and I loved it. I I found it very interesting and intriguing, and I never. I never made anyone seem like they're lesser than me because I'm like, oh, I'm cool or something like that. No, I was just always open, like, yo, this is cool, man. Show me what's up, like, you know. But you know, um, always made a point to that, and I, I think uh, that's it's it's important when you're going into business to get into mind frames, be able to get into the mind frames of people who do not think like you. And if you're always just around people who think like you, it's going to be a lot harder. And then one of the other things that they talk about is that you can't disguise your attitude towards the public, and you always have to be about the people at all levels. So even when you're the billionaire of you know, your company, or you know, you're a high-ranking politician, never think you're better than the, you know, the person buying your cheapest product. You know, you're never better than them. And I remember one way that I personally like to um, almost keep a finger, a pulse on the, on the, on the people, or like you know the vibe, or how the the, the direction of how things are going is, is with hip hop, and hip hop is very, is very organic, and yet and it forms into new shapes. And it's able to, uh, it's very malleable with whatever culture. And I think that if you can constantly stay connected to hip hop, to a certain degree, you're always connected to the youth. And therefore, you're always connected to the, the, the new market or the new thing. Of course, you know, you may be just like, you know, your oldies and your classics, you know. But I would always make a conscious effort to Always at least have an open ear to check the, you know, the new music out. Don't be quick. Don't be that curmudgeon, old school dude talking about all oh, this new shit's weak, this and that. Like Before you give it any hesitation, just give it a listen without any judgment. And I would say sometimes I do that, but I, I, I try to be cognizant of it and I just take my judgment back. I don't even say it. And I'd be like, yo, Jeff, cut that up. But so some of the main uh, points that he talks about. So four strategies you can use to bring you closer to the people. You crush all distance. Open informal channels of criticism and feedback. Reconnect with your base and create a social mirror. And one of the great quotes that I really liked about that he says at the end of this chapter is, a really intelligent man feels what other men only know. I thought, that was, I thought that was gold, to be honest. Guys, I'm going to leave it right there. Hope to, uh, Thank you for listening. I appreciate y'all. Uh, hope I can catch y'all next week. Have a great one, guys.